the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show.
Hey, welcome back everybody as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour. We're uh, squeezing in some tributes to uh, the late Mary Wilson. She, uh, founding member of the Supremes, passed away this week at age 76. She began her career in Detroit in 1959 as a singer in what was then called the Prime Mets. They went on to become the Supremes, Motown's most successful group of the 1960s with uh, 12 number one singles. And uh, we've been listening to uh, some of their music. We'll hear a little bit more before we uh, get into an encore with um, author Stephen Levingston in his book, Barack and Joe. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is the author of Little Demon in the City of Light and Kennedy and King, which was named a New York Times Editor's Choice selection and a Washington Post notable book for 2017. The nonfiction book editor of the Washington Post has lived and worked in Beijing, Hong Kong, New York, Paris, and Washington, and reported and edited for the Wall Street Journal and International Herald Tribune. He has a new book uh, 
about the partnership between uh, Barack Obama and Joe Biden. It's called Barack and Joe, aptly enough, (laughs) the making of an extraordinary partnership. And it uh, comes out this week. Uh, I'm talking about Stephen Levingston. Steve, welcome to the show. Oh, great. Thanks for having me. Um, I don't know that that's the longest introduction I've ever given, but uh, it's it's probably going to make the top ten. Um, but let me let me ask this, um, Steve. A lot of people refer to Barack and Joe as as having a bromance. They became very very good friends during their tenure uh, during uh, Barack Obama's administration, um, but it didn't start out that way. They served uh, in the Senate together. Yes, they did. They they first came upon each other in the Senate um, when Barack Obama was just elected, and um, he came in kind of as a superstar, having given a tremendous speech at the Democratic National Convention in 2004, which sort of anointed him as the new face of the Democratic Party. So he was a celebrity, and he came in, and he was young, and he was dynamic, and he was cool. But... Um, Joe Biden had been in the Senate for about 30 years, or a little more than 30 years, and he was a different kind of character. He was, you know, of the Senate. He, he believed in the hierarchy and the traditions. And here came, here came Barack, I mean, here came Barack Obama, um, who was kind of impatient with everything. He wanted to, to get things moving and, and sort of um, was impatient with the way, the style and the, and the, and the, the, the slowness of the way things moved in, in the Senate. And one of those people who kind of was responsible for the style was um, um, Joe Biden himself, because he was known, as everyone knows, could be, for being kind of long-winded. So they didn't really hit it off too well right at the beginning. Um, and they had to sort of evolve from there, which they did. I mean, they, they went down the road together and evolved, began that way, and they, they um, transformed their relationship over time into something that really turned into a profound friendship over the years. And that that began in the Senate. Um, was there uh, was was that evolving friendship interrupted a little in the uh, during the primary campaign for the two thousand four election? Exactly. Um, <laughs> it, it I would it think. Yeah, it hadn't quite evolved yet, shall we say? Um, they, you know, they both were wanted to be um, president in, in two thousand and eight. Um, Barack, even though he... Oh, that's right. I went back too far. It was 8 and 12. Yes, yes. They both both wanted to to run... They both ran for president in 2008. Um, You know, Barack, when he came into the Senate, said he was was not concerned with that. He wasn't going to run. But a lot of people were pressuring him, and he wanted to be president for a long time. So, of course, he he threw his hat in and started going. Well, that Um, that pressure kind of began when he gave uh, the convention speech. Yes. Yeah, immediately, um, immediately after that, he, you know, people started uh, saying, your time is coming, it may be here now, and he had to sit back and sort of think a lot about that and say, well, um, do I do it now? Do I grab this moment when I'm hot, or do I try to do it later? And, um, you know, in the political world, if you're hot, you're hot now. Um, Bernie Sanders is sort of finding that out this year, as opposed to the last time he ran. Um, he was he was really hot last time, and this time it's not so hot. So Obama sort of understood that the, the, the importance of hotness, and he he ran with it. And that you know a presidential primary campaign isn't the best place to make friends, especially if you're running against another man. So Barack and Joe really you know 
weren't on a path toward friendship at that time. It had to come after um, after um, Joe dropped out. And and how did that um, evolve? Did it evolve because of their relationship in the in the Senate, or um, or did it start after Joe was asked or selected to be on the ticket? Well, I think they both sort of started to see um, virtues in each other. Um, Obama, you know, had had seen Biden perform during the debates during during the primary campaign in 2008, and he was kind of surprised. He thought he would be kind of a bloviator and would be off off um, topic and whatnot. But he was very focused, and he was really considered one of the best debaters. On top of that, um, he knew that Biden had this great long experience in the Senate, which he didn't have. Um, and if you were to become president, you needed somebody who could work with the Senate. Um, Biden was attractive for that reason. Biden also had a lot of foreign affairs experience, and he was considered a bit of an expert, and that was something else that um, um, Obama came up short on. So as they sort of looked at each other, they began to see that there was there was something kind of attractive about the other guy. Biden, um, who was sort of a little hesitant about Obama at the beginning, began to look at him and see that this guy is pretty masterful. He, he knows what he's doing. He's incredibly smart and um, and uh, he, he looks like he, he could really could really make it. So they gradually came together there until um, you know Obama decided to uh, try him as a possible running mate. As, as I remember uh, that campaign in 2008, Barack Obama did not do particularly well in debates early on, but his learning curve was really fairly obvious to everybody that was watching. He got better with each debate. That's exactly right. And that's why he was so kind of enamored of, of Biden, because his first debate, Obama's first debate, he was he was pretty bad. He, you know, he was sort of didn't seem to have the energy and the, and the focus. And he, he just didn't come off as well as, as Biden did. So he felt, you know, there was, might be something there to learn um, from the older guy. Was that the uh, the, the campaign where uh Biden was uh, on the debate stage, and and some pundit asked a a really complicated question with with a lot of context and stuff, and Joe simply answered with the word no. Yeah, I think I think Is, that one of those debates was it. You know, they put him up, and, and the question I think was, would you be able to you know be focused and do all these things? Would you be able to answer things in a very simple, quick sort of a way? And everybody thought you know Biden would come back and go into the long, elaborate answer, and he just said, yeah. <laughs> gave the one word answer yep. <laughs> which surprised everybody more with journalist and author Stephen Levingston about his book Barack and Joe straight ahead hello darling this is Elvira Mistress of the Dark with Tom Sumner I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus.
If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I know this is a really hard time for everyone. We're facing a killer virus, economic pain, and all the frustrations of being cooped up at home. Believe me, I have two teenagers to deal with. But the worst thing we can do is let up now, triggering a second coronavirus wave that causes more death and economic chaos. What you're doing is working. You're saving lives. So let's all hang in there and please stay home and stay safe. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with journalist and author Stephen Levingston about his book, Barack and Joe, straight ahead. Once the were was their relationship already starting to meld before Joe Biden was selected to run as uh, Barack Obama's vice presidential candidate or did that evolve on the campaign trail 
I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, um, one thing I should mention also what Biden found so attractive about um, Obama after first being a little hesitant about him when he first came into the Senate was the way he handled that controversy, if you if you recall, about Jeremiah Wright, the Reverend Jeremiah Wright, who was um, Obama's pastor. And into the campaign, it was I think it was in March, before Obama had won the nomination, and he was kind of surging and he was looking good, um, one of the news channels did an investigative report and found a lot of um, reports and video of Reverend Wright, who was um, Obama's pastor, giving very inflammatory, racially inflammatory um, sermons. And this caused a huge um, outcry and a big controversy. Obama hadn't done anything wrong. He was just associated with this man. So now uh, Obama had to deal with this in some way, and he came at it in a really a brilliant way. He, he just decided, I'm going to have to talk about this. I'm going to come out and give a major speech on race. And he did that at the Constitution Center in Philadelphia, I think it was. And he just aced it. It was an amazing speech where he talked about the history of race in America. And, you know, he said, you know, some of the things he certainly disapproves of in his reverend, but he understands where that's coming from, from the black population. And he basically gave a lesson to America on 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 race and racial tolerance and, and racial history in America. And Biden saw that and he was completely blown away. He told one of his aides, one of his aides told me about how he said, that was really the best speech I think I've ever heard a politician ever give. And this, this aide told me that it was really a click moment for for Joe Biden in the sense that he now had this newfound respect and admiration for this incredible man who was able to, to, to speak so eloquently on a very delicate subject. And David Axelrod, who was, who was Obama's um, advisor, he said that what that speech was, was at a moment when his, his campaign was in a great moment of peril, he actually turned it around and turned it into a triumph. And Obama saw that. And so gradually they started to confer a little bit more on the campaign trail. And they started to see what was good about each other until finally Obama um, decided he wanted this man to, to be his, his running mate after he got the nomination. Although, it, it, as I recall, it wasn't quite that, that simple. Um, wasn't there a, a, a period of time where people were speculating whether he was going to ask Hillary to be the vice president and Joe to be the secretary of state? There was some talk about that, and, and they, they thought about it. But from what I gathered, um, Obama was never terribly serious about having um, Hillary as his, as his running mate, because I think, as he put it, there would be three of us in the picture. It would be Obama, Hillary, and Bill Clinton. And he didn't want to have to deal with um, Bill being as partly involved in everything as well. So it was better to have her maybe, you know, working at state and and Joe being his, his main guy and um, as the vice president. I, I saw Bill Clinton speak once, and, and he referred to uh, Hillary's position as secretary of state as that traveling job. <laughs> well, that was. <laughs> she certainly was on the road. Um, but with um, but but with Joe and and I just wanted to make this one comment about the uh, race speech that uh, Barack Obama gave because uh, as I remember it he was trying very hard to stay away from that issue as much as possible yeah. and uh, and then he makes this very eloquent speech I think people started calling him uh, the professor in chief yeah. or, or something like that. 
Yeah, that's why I refer to it as sort of like he gave a lesson. He was giving yeah. a lesson to America and everybody who was listening that, you know, these are the things we need to understand, you know, about the the racial history in America. And he laid it out really eloquently and, and um, had a lot to say. And, you know, he was a former professor. He used to teach in law school. And, um, but it, it wasn't professorial. It was more very much on the level, you know, and um, it was it was just so impressive. Now with with Joe, um, we've talked about him being a little bit long-winded, but he's become somewhat known for making gaffes. Did that come with Joe, or did that come with the vice presidency? I think that came with Joe. That's um, <laughs> he's born and bred for gaffing, and. And I think he knows that. And, you know, in some ways, I think it goes back to his childhood. Um, you know, he was a he had a bad stutter when he was a child and he had to work very hard to overcome it. And, you know, he was a guy who was also very outgoing and gregarious. And so it was kind of ironic that here's a guy who wants to speak so much, but he has this stutter that keeps him from doing it. But he worked so hard to overcome it. He became quite a speaker and he was he was able to be fairly fluent. But. As I think his mother would say, there was a sort of a little disconnect between his his brain and his mouth sometimes, and things came out wrong. And you know he developed this reputation for just being authentic and speaking from the heart because he just wanted to get out what he wanted to get out. And sometimes it came out really great, and other times it came out kind of mixed up, or he chose the wrong words, or he he just didn't get it right. Um, but I think, you know, that was one of the things that Obama, you know, in his wisdom and his and his compassion sort of understood. And he really looked past a lot of the gaffes. He didn't think that the gaffes were that important. And you know, another aide of his, you know, told me that he just he didn't think about them as being important. He kept his eye on the on the long game and he didn't get too caught up in the changing um, news cycle from moment to moment. The, the moment to moment changes were not important. And she told me that it was the same thing with the relationship. He just wanted to keep that relationship solid and firm and not get caught up in the ups and downs of the day-to-day activity. How much do you think this book will uh, inform people considering Joe as a uh, potential president? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I, um, I mean, I, I have to sort of, you know, companion that with the question of you know why why this book now right right well i i certainly didn't intend it to be to be like this and um to my mind when i first was thinking of this book and writing this book and it is a book that is contained in history a short history ago it's contained really to the white house years and it it ends really with just joe announcing his his candidacy this you know past year in in april um, and I don't really get into the politics. And I, I didn't want it, and I don't want it to be a political book. It's really a relationship book. It's about two guys who really created a White House partnership, friendship, relationship that had never existed before in American history. And the, the point of my delving into this was to sort of see how did those dynamics work? How did this come about? What was it about these characters that, that was able to to get over the fact that they were running the world, you know, or running America and were for the most powerful nation in the world, and yet were able to go out and have good times together, were laughing and enjoying themselves, and, and just sort of had this real decency with each other. That's something we've never seen before. And 
that's how I conceive the book, and that's sort of how it's written. Um, it's not meant to be a political book. It's not meant for people to really look at it in terms of the, of the campaign today. But in terms of the campaign today, I think if people read it, they'll see um, the kind of man that Joe is, and the kind of man that he was as vice president. And they'll also see, I mean, I'm not a Biden partisan. I'm not, you know, I don't have a horse in this in this race of the of the primaries. But they will see that the man, you know, had a lot of on-the-job training, and he was in the room with Obama and watching and learning from Obama and how he um, he ran his, his administration, which was, you know, quite effective. And I want to go back to the, the decision-making for selecting him as the, uh, as the vice presidential candidate, because historically, vice president, uh, the, the, whoever is selected as uh, to to bring up the the ticket is that's usually a decision based on uh political connections geography um and and very often the the two people the the president and the vice president don't have any real love lost between them um was this decision made on what Joe brought to the ticket in terms of uh, uh, political connections and geography, or was this more personality? You got a fairly young guy on the ticket, one with more experience, one that's, uh, uh, you know, the new kid on the block and, you know, one that's been around for a while. Was it was it more about personality well, actually, I think it became about personality. I think you hit on it at the beginning of your question there, that it, it really was more of a, a political marriage to begin with, as these things usually are. I mean, um, as we were talking about a little earlier, Joe brought a lot to the table for, for Obama, the young guy, not a lot of experience. Joe had a lot of experience in the Senate um, with foreign affairs. Um, and there was also the geographic um, thing that you mentioned. He was, you know, strong with the working class, the mid Midwest. Um, he had a lot of those kind of qualities that um, helped the ticket. Um, but what was interesting and why this became such a unique relationship was that once they made that political marriage, it became something a little bit more. Um, you know, as I write about in the book, and people who who follow Biden will know that, you know, there's a term that they call um, being Bidened. And that is, you know, it, it's kind of hard to resist the guy because he's just so gregarious and friendly and he's in your face and he, he gets to know you. And he's he's just a, he's a really he, I mean, of all the politicians I've ever covered, he really seems to be a, quite a fine human being, which you don't normally see at that level. And I think Obama got Biden in a sense and, and became, you know, enamored of the man just as much as Biden was totally admired um, Obama. And so that sort of dynamic played itself out once they got on the campaign trail and once they got in the White House, certainly, and throughout their administration, especially in the later years where, you know, Joe's son, Bo, was ill and, and died, and um, Obama was just a, a really loving friend to, to Joe at that time and was really concerned for him and was offered a, a very big shoulder for him. And, and their wives seemed to get along very well, too. Oh, that the wives certainly did. You know, they they've done a lot together on, you know, for military families. They travel together, and and not only the wives, but the kids, the families. Um, you know, Biden's grandkids and Obama's kids. They would have sleepovers together. They would get together for to go out and do stuff, and 
I mean, this is why it was sort of an unheard arrangement and it kind of, in my sense, and especially if you look at it from today's perspective, it gave you sort of a, a feeling of hope and, and, and optimism about the way that people should just be with people, you know, and the way that relationships should be. And the president and the vice president really set that model from the top and send that ethical and, and moral sort of principle down to the rest of us on, you know, how we should behave. And that, I think, also is why the relationship was, was such a powerful thing for many people in the country who identified with it, because they saw that decency at the top and they felt, oh, that's kind of a good feeling. And it's interesting that you brought up that, that uh, term Biden, um, because in some ways that I was, I was going to ask how Biden didn't become considered because of his experience, his age, the length of time he'd been in office as uh, and where he was from an eastern elite um as opposed to this uh, sort of midwest working class hero persona that he has but hasn't that that down home quality kind of played as as old school and worked against joe in the campaign this year a little bit this year well, you know, it's really difficult. This, this I mean, you've been you've been watching some of the coverage and, yeah. and some of the accusations of him being too familiar and too close to people. And right. I I remember growing up. Of course, I'm in my 60s now, and and that was kind of normal for politicians to put a hand on on your shoulder or you know to try and be you know very close and and warm and friendly. Uh, like an uncle, like Uncle Joe, exactly. And yeah. and I just wonder if uh, in in today's um, politic, if it isn't uh, a little bit old school. That's exactly the word I was thinking as you were as you were saying that it is old school, and that's that's the kind of guy he is. He's an old school politician, um, and in this particular era, you know that that resonates in a way that hasn't resonated in the past maybe where we have a, a real strong you know um sort of progressive democratic wing that sort of wants to abandon the old school and and joe is right in their crosshairs for that reason and even you know elizabeth warren who is you know she's no spring chicken she's like 70 years old but she's also feeling she's sort of project, projecting a new school kind of a way of of behaving um and Joe is of that old school, and sometimes some of his, his gaffes on the campaign trail this year have shown that. You know, he, he says things that people don't understand because they are so of another era. Um, so this is a really complicated time for him, and it, I just, you know, it's impossible to know how this will all play out because um, it seems every day brings some new twist or turn. But um, he has a lot of hurdles, um, that's for sure. You've been quoting uh, aides a lot. Were you able to get access to Barack and Joe while working on this book? No. Um, they, I guess the timing just wasn't right for them on this. Um, they helped me, though, get in touch with people around them. I've talked to a lot of people in their inner circles. Um, and I've talked to people outside those circles who are able to sort of reflect on um, the relationship and how what it means for us in America and, and all of that. Um, and I basically have done just a really deep dive on all of the material and 
information that I could find out there and you know from the media from books and memoirs and and video and all of their speeches and and conversations that have been made available this is an interesting book because you know my last two books are, are more historic where you know the characters are all dead and we've had we have like archives and we have you know lots of rich material and, and people who who knew those people are willing to speak more freely whereas Barack and Joe are still as we know very much contemporary they haven't drifted off into history yet so it makes it a little bit harder to um to get to you know the deeper deeper levels of of all of this um but in in a sense I I got the sense and I was able to through all of that research and through my own interpretation I think deliver really the the first kind of comprehensive look at what this relationship is and I know down the road once they move into history There'll be other people that maybe come back and, and broaden on it. Maybe I'll come back and be able to broaden on it. Um, once there are archives and once there are people who are further away from them and who are willing to talk a little bit more freely. But right now, this is the portrait, I think, that we have. And, and of course, it would be difficult uh, to access Joe while he's in a presidential campaign. Yeah. Um, and and I don't know why it would be difficult to, to get with Barack. But when you talk about moving into history is where are things going on with uh obama's presidential uh library you know i'm not really sure i, I haven't been following that too much but i yeah and i didn't mean to put you on the spot about that but i was thinking yeah. as you were talking about having access to a lot of papers and a lot of records you know when doing these histories oh yeah um yeah. that I, I was wondering if any of those kinds of papers were made available to you and and then it got me thinking about, gosh, shouldn't we be hearing about an Obama library soon? <laughs> yeah, no, they've been talking about it, and I think, I mean, I, the last I heard it, they were planning, and I think there was going to be something built in Chicago or in that in the, that area. I was um, thinking Chicago, too. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure exactly, but, um, you know, and that's the kind of thing. You do need that kind of repository. You need a place where... You know, people can go to do deep research, and you know he's still a very new and young president, so we don't we don't really have all of that material just yet. I mean, that was what made the, doing the Kennedy and King book so fun and, and easy. Was that you know there are just mountains and mountains of archival information and and thousands of oral histories that people have done about that administration, and you know and I just spent hours and hours and hours going through that stuff, and there are little nuggets you find. You think everybody's been over all that stuff a million times, but there are things that are still there that people haven't seen well it's it's nice with uh with those two because there's there's also video yes yes as opposed to doing you know uh adams and jefferson or something (laughs) right that's for sure Um, well, this this is fascinating, and I can't wait to read the book. I apologize that I, I, I don't have it yet, but uh, it's it's just coming out this week. And, um, Steve, I always uh, want to have guests um, share with listeners where they can find out more, and not just about the book, Barack and Joe, The Making of an Extraordinary Partnership, but your other books and, and future projects. Do you have a website? Um, well, I'm mostly using the Facebook author page now that people oh, okay. can look at. I do a lot of, I do some updating on there. I'm, I'm putting, you know, reviews and what other people are saying about the book and stuff that's going on with it. So you can just find that under my name, Stephen Levingston. It's an author page on Facebook. And I also have a Twitter account um, where I also do some updating, and that's 
at Steve Levingston, not Stephen, it's just at Steve Levingston, um, people can go there. It'd be great. And it's uh, it's Stephen Levingston on Facebook. And yes, right. They wouldn't let me do the whole Stephen Levingston for some reason on Twitter. It was too long. <laughs> <laughs> too many characters. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like trying to put out a book in, what, 145 characters? Um, the, uh, do you know what, uh, what comes next? I mean, obviously you'll be pushing this book for a little while, but, uh, have you already, uh, fleshed out your next project? No, I haven't. I'm always thinking and trying to figure out what I do next, but there's just, um, you know, when you, when you start working on a book, it, it has to, it takes a lot of time to sort of get to the right project and make sure, cause you're going to spend a lot of time on it. So I'm still kind of sorting through things and not sure just yet. More with journalist and author Stephen Levingston about his book, Barack and Joe, straight. I know of a place where you never get harmed. A magical place with magical charms indoors 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 take it away old fashioned radio for a new generation Tom Sumner program.com the Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, 
and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. 
Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with journalist and author Stephen Levingston about his book, Barack and Joe, straight ahead. What what was it about these two that made you feel like you wanted to write this book? Well, that's, that's interesting because it's sort of, I didn't realize this, but if you look back at the Kennedy and King book, which was the one previous to this, and this one, they're both about men in very high positions and their relationships. And to me, that's the fascinating quality of what history is about. History doesn't just occur. History is made by the people who are in positions of power working together or working opposite each other or somehow creating history. It's, it's created by the men and women who, who have the power to, to create history. Um, so that's what I did with Kennedy and King. Kennedy and King was a look at the relationship between um, those two men and their impact on the civil rights movement and how King um, influenced Martin, uh, influenced um, John F. Kennedy to be more open to um, civil rights, which he did. It was kind of an interesting um, thing I hadn't known how how powerful his his sway was on Kennedy. And then I and I thought of Barack and Joe, and I thought, well, here's an interesting end piece to almost the Kennedy and King story because now we have um, what Kennedy and King did made possible for this relationship between Barack and Joe. We have now the African-American, who is the man in the, in the supreme position of power, where Kennedy was before, and King was trying to influence him. And we have, we have Barack Obama, who was the man at the top of the ticket, and he's being helped and influenced in some ways by, um, by Joe Biden. So it's, and that's how the history was made um, in that relationship. So it's, it's that kind of a thing. I just got interested in the relationships between people at the top. And, and interesting that, that both of these projects are interracial relationships. Yeah, I, I never thought of doing it that way. But then when I finished this one, I thought, whoa, yes, that's true. That's, that's how it came. It's come out. And, it's, it's, and I did see the arc between the two of them. Steve, it's, it's almost, you know, a black guy and a white guy walk into a bar and uh, Steve writes a book. Well, Steve, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and uh, best of luck with the book. I, I'm looking forward to it um, very much, and I, I apologize I haven't read it before we had a chance to talk, but uh, um, I certainly will be soon, and people are saying great things about it. I appreciate that, and I appreciate the time. It was great talking with you. All right. Take care. Take care. That was uh, Stephen Levingston. Steve is the author of Little Demon in the City of Light and, of course, as we talked about, Kennedy and King, which was named a New York Times Editor's Choice Selection and a Washington Post notable book in uh, 2017. He was a nonfiction book editor of the Washington Post. He has lived and worked in Beijing, Hong Kong, New York, Paris, and Washington and reported and edited for the Wall Street Journal and International Herald Tribune. The new book is Barack and Joe, The Making of an Extraordinary Partnership. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Welcome to 
this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Gentlemen, who are we scheduled to interview next? I've been waiting around now for three weeks. <laughs> of course, our apologies. Our next guest is the junior senator from New York. Senator, first we'd like to welcome you here today. We hope this will be a happy interview. No, well, I mean, that's, I don't think that that would be, I doubt if it will be. <laughs> Senator is the father of nine children and a devoted family man. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out to come and speak with us here. I'm delighted to see uh, so many grown-ups all in one room. <laughs> Well, Senator, I wonder if we might switch for just a moment and... Keep the door open. Well, sir, we normally close the door for silence, you understand. I'm in favor of keeping that door open. <laughs> All right, we'll keep the door open. Thank you very much. Senator, as an out-of-stater, some people have questioned your motives for coming into New York. I grew up here in the state of New York. Well then, obviously it does have meaning for you. What exactly is New York to you and your wife, Ethel? Something that we will hand over to our children. <laughs> Mr. St. Ledger. Uh, now that you're a senator, you must have some very, very exciting and vital things you plan on doing for the people of New York. No, I have no plans. Surely, surely, Senator, you have some ideas. I just have no plans. Well, what do the people of New York need? Well, I think you'd have to ask them. Senator, if we can, uh, if we can look ahead for just a moment, uh, do you think your brother Teddy will one day be president? If he wants to uh, join me and where I'm going, I'd be glad to have him along. <laughs> interpret what you just said, uh, when would you like to be president? Now. Well, I think you know it can't be done that quickly. 1965, 1966? No, obviously you can't run for president until 1968. I don't think that's fair. <laughs> happen to believe that. Didn't you pay him a visit just recently? A few days ago. Did you have a nice friendly chat with the president? I showed up and he had guards to keep me out. <laughs> we understood, sir, that on a recent tour of the western United States, you visited Mount Rushmore. I did, yes. With the great heads of Washington, Jefferson, and Lincoln carved into the mountainside. That's correct. And as you stood there gazing up at that monument, did any particular thoughts come to mind? I'd like to be a part of that. <laughs> Senator, many thanks for being with us this evening. Thank you very much. Incidentally, due to your heavy schedule, 
ourselves to cancel this interview entirely. I would have been delighted. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. I uh, hope you enjoyed this uh, encore presentation with uh, author Stephen Levingston, author of uh, Barack and Joe, uh, during this third half of our three-hour tour. Before that, interesting conversation with Dr. Robert Schwab, chief medical officer for a Dallas hospital and author of a new book called Eddie's Boy. And uh, before that, we... uh, Talked with um, National Geographic photographer and uh, uh, partner on the National Geographic uh, Photo Arc project, Joel Sartori. Always, uh, always fun to talk with uh, Joel, and they have a uh, National Geographic Kids has a uh, version for kids of the photo arc. We also paid tribute to uh, the late great Mary Wilson. On today's show, she passed away this week at age 76 at her home in Henderson, Nevada. And um, they say services will be private due to COVID-19 restrictions, but a celebration of Wilson's life will take place later this year. I'm sure there will be lots of uh, opportunities to remember Mary Wilson, co-founder of the Supremes. That's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow with uh, Armchair Politics. It's Wednesday. Jan Worth Nelson from East Village Magazine will be joining our roundtable regulars. Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter join us then. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.